Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. This is the July 18th, 2015 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. This is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism is the only philosophy that upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff. It is Saturday night, not Friday night. Sorry, I didn't do it last night. As I tweeted and sent out via social media, I had a doctor's appointment in the late afternoon and it was just too much conflict for me to be able to do the show at the regular time. So I thank you all of you who are joining me here live today at this unusual time. I see some of the usual names in the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio, Freedom Breeze, hello, just Jean, Mark. Obama 2016, I think I remember you from uh, last week at least, selfishness, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, Obama 16, that is just such a depressing, <laughs> depressing name to choose over here. So I'm taking it's uh, quite facetious. So tonight, you can tell me whether I was maybe stretching a little bit in order to get the title of the show. I always like to have titles that are unified in some way. And earlier in the week, I had, of course, the Ice Age issue. Is there a coming Ice Age potential because of low activity of the sun? Or is global warming such a factor that, ah, you know, lose some power from the sun is no big deal because all of the CO2 and all these other greenhouse gases are warming us to such an extent that, you know, a little bit of loss in sun power is not even a blip. That's the debate that's been going on. Um, it's been overshadowed by other events, but if you remember, there also is the Iran deal to discuss here. And I used the phrase nuclear winter because some people are saying that that might be something that we have to look forward to thanks to this Iran deal. And then I said, well, what is it that can sort of encompass the rest of this horrible week with the Chattanooga, Tennessee shootings? And I wondered if I could use Ayn Rand's fallacy of frozen abstraction to explain part of the problem of, of what's going on with that. So you can be the judge by the end of the show and tell me whether, um, I'm trying to do a little shoehorning or not, but um, the complete title of the show then is, you can tell me if it's valid later, Ice Age, Nuclear Winter, or Frozen Abstractions, Which Will Ice You First? 
and I'm trying to have some fun, but this is all yucky stuff. Um, I will be ending it on a positive note. It's actually ending it on a positive note that comes from something that is done by government, but not a proper function of government. So if you want to go see what that is, go over to my blog at don'tletitgo.com and you'll see how short your memory is because we did have some good news this week as well. Obama 2016 is saying, well, what's a frozen abstraction? And we will be talking about that here on the show. If you do want to see all the program notes and in effect to get all the spoilers for tonight's show, you can go over to don'tletitgo.com and I've got all the links for everything that I plan to discuss. So um, if you want to get in on the discussion, any of these topics, the phone number to call is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. And don't forget to press 1 to let me know that if you're here on the line, that you you know actually want to have a question or a comment <laughs> Obama 2016 says is that an icy question uh, not at all but I just want to keep you hanging in there and see how it goes so um, the first thing that I've got on the list of course is the ice age and if you do regularly visit the blog over at don'tletitgo.com or if you follow me on social media you saw that I posted a bit earlier this week a guest post by Deborah Sloan and it is we've kind of retitled it right now just to kind of fit into this debate about whether there is potentially a coming ice age or whether the greenhouse gases are you know producing such a significant warming effect that any sort of reduced solar activity is going to have no uh, effect at all. And the title of the guest post is The Relative Insignificance of the Greenhouse Effect. So here I am at 8 p.m. on Saturday night, and I'm going to try to give you the gist of this debate. Okay, so here it goes. So on the one hand, there is a scientist who recently announced at a conference that at 2030, about 2030, so only 15 years from now, there is going to be such a drop in solar activity due to the coinciding of magnetic waves, a lot of very you know complicated stuff, but there's some sort of a minimum, I think they call it a maunder minimum, I can't pronounce it, but it's a minimum in solar activity that is going to drastically reduce the energy that comes to us from the sun, and therefore we are going to have a mini ice age with all sorts of pretty much catastrophic consequences for us. That was the punch. And then the counterpunch was an article from Washington Post that says, oh, that's not even going to be a blip on the radar because the greenhouse effect is warming us so much that really all it's going to do is decrease us by maybe a fraction of a degree or something like that. Now, I was talking about this with my friend Debbie, and she says, oh, I have this really cool unpublished paper from, well, she didn't say really cool. I think it's really cool. I don't think she said that. But she says, I've got this paper that I wanted to publish, but it's unpublished. And it is about the fact that in terms of warming us, the prime mover, so to speak, is, of course, the sun. And that in terms of CO2 in particular, which is the main greenhouse gas that's accused of warming us, remember, we're all supposed to reduce our carbon footprint, 
Um, anyway, the, this greenhouse gas, that all it can do is absorb the energy that is reflected off the earth and then therefore keep us warmer here on this planet. That's all it can do. And what she said in this paper, and all she was really um, repeating and explaining information that had been released by other scientists. And I have the links embedded in that article again over at my blog at don'tletitgo.com. But what, what they've explained before is that all of this energy that is being bounced off of the earth is already being absorbed by the amount of carbon that we have in the atmosphere right now. Not entirely, not, not, not 100%, right? But so much of it is already being absorbed that if you add more carbon dioxide, the additional warming effect of adding more carbon dioxide into our atmosphere is, you know, it has diminishing returns, so to speak. In mathematical terms, you would say that the curve is logarithmic, that the change in how much heat we're going to get is exponential, such that the more and more carbon that we add, you're going to get less and less of a return. So people have talked about this in so many realms. You could talk about ice cream, right? And I really like Haagen-Dazs peanut butter and chocolate ice cream. And the first bite of that just tastes amazing. And the next bite also really adds to my enjoyment. And a third bite even more so. But by the time you get to like the 55th bite of Haagen-Dazs peanut butter and chocolate ice cream, you're just not adding to your enjoyment of the ice cream eating experience that much. So you could say once you get to a certain point on, you know, and everybody's got their different you know, saturation levels of eating Haagen-Dazs peanut butter and chocolate ice cream. But for everybody, I would attest, I mean, you call in and tell me if I'm wrong, but I would say for everybody at a certain point when you've eaten enough of this, there is less increase in enjoyment as time goes on. And in fact, you could actually get sick. You could get to the point where this makes you sick. Now, it's not going to, as far as I know, ever get to the point where additional carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is going to make us cooler. There may be some weird scientific effect about that. It is true that if you ate enough Haagen-Dazs, peanut butter, and chocolate ice cream, at a certain point, you would probably get sick and there would be less enjoyment than there was. Okay, so, but I don't know about the science, when you, but, but, but all I know is that according to a number of different scientists, we are at a point on this curve of rate of increase in temperature per additional carbon dioxide, we're at a point on this curve so that the increase, the rate of increase is decreasing more and more and more. And so that it's not like you can get that much warmer by adding more carbon dioxide. So moreover, if you decrease the amount of energy that comes from the sun and therefore the amount of energy that's gonna be bounced off the earth in terms of this infrared stuff, then we're going to get cooler. We are going to get significantly cooler. And it's not like adding more carbon dioxide can save us from this. That's really the point of this is that, you know, additional carbon dioxide, all these greenhouse gases that everyone's warning us about can do very little to counteract the fluctuations in sun's energy, energy coming from the sun. That is the primary source of heat. So if the paper, the original paper, that that woman 
you know, announced at a conference and said, hey, look, we're going to have this decrease in sun energy. If that paper holds up, which we haven't seen yet, it hasn't even been published yet, right? It's already making all this news. But if it holds up and if it's true, we do have something to worry about. And what is the answer then? What is the answer? Uh, Obama 2016 says, we don't need a global agreement to reduce Haagen-Dazs consumption. <laughs> it's true. Uh, Freedom Bree says, after a few bites, the taste buds freeze up for me. I don't know, just after a few bites. I would say maybe 10 bites. I mean, you know, it also depends on the size of the bite. Are you taking big bites? You know, you could always say, I, I take one bite of ice cream, you know, per day or something just to have a little taste or something. But how big is that bite? So these are all very, very important scientific questions we must be precise about. But um, Obama 2016 says, I think the scientist was actually predicting a decrease in the range of solar activity, not a decrease in solar activity. Well, a decrease, at least in the irrelevant range of solar activity that has to do with heating us up. And this is important stuff is the upshot of this. So what is it that we need to do now? What we need to do actually is to get our butts in gear to make sure that we have enough man-made energy to compensate so that we can ride through because these are fluctuations in solar activity. It's not like it's going to stay at ice age levels forever. And so if it turns out to be true, we would need to be prepared. Uh, are we prepared to continue to exploit fossil fuels as necessary? Might we decide that we need to go ahead and pursue nuclear as a source of energy and power that can help us ride that out? What we do know is that we have human ingenuity and we have plenty of time to prepare. Uh, the thing that is going to hamper us in this effort is, of course, the so-called environmentalist movement. Environment is one of the things I'm going to argue later is a, a frozen abstraction. Um, again, you can tell me later if I'm stretching on some of these things tonight, but um, the environmentalist movement is uh, something that is hampering our exploitation of energy sources, possible energy sources. And we need those people to be answered. Uh, we need people in general to stop electing politicians that are going to inhibit our consumption of fossil fuels and other sources of energy. And we need to get about, you know, saving us and keeping us comfortable. Uh, so just Gene in the chat room says, are we now going to have the global cooling alarm and alarmists? I, I doubt it because I mean, they would hate the idea that we're actually going to be exploiting fossil fuels and other sources of energy from the earth, from our planet, from Mother Earth. So the first kind of volley from the Washington Post was to try to say this is a whole bunch of nothing. Now, if anybody wants to weigh in on, weigh in on this here in the chat room is, is fine, but also 760-888-5817. You can also go and read this excellent paper from Debbie over at the blog, and I hope I've done it justice in my little metaphor of ice cream eating and all that stuff too. But yeah, go over to the blog, don'tletitgo.com, check out that guest post, leave comments. There is someone there who has uh, tried to start a discussion. So you can go ahead and chime in if you want. So um, the next story that I wanted to talk about tonight is the Iran deal that concluded earlier this week. And in particular, 
I present you with two contrasting pieces of analysis of the Iran deal. The first I got in my email inbox earlier in the week, and it says, Iran deal a clear success, Iran nuclear deal a clear success. And this is from two analysts at Cato, John Glazer and Justin Logan. And basically they're saying, look, you know, it's going to make it, harder for Iran to have a nuclear weapon. Um, they say it used to be that, you're, you know, I guess at the time that they're concluding this deal, that Iran, if it wanted to, could have material for a nuclear weapon within three months. And during the time that this deal is in effect, uh, it basically they're not going to be able to do it supposedly they're not going to be able to make the nuclear weapon and then i guess at the time that the deal concludes and then they're able to just do whatever they want or i guess if they decide to flout the deal then the time from you know point zero to when they'd have a nuclear weapon is roughly one year okay so that's one thing that they are celebrating but really what they're saying is they're saying what you have to do is you have to take into account you know, today you have to be pragmatic and, you know, you have to kind of go for what you think you can actually get. And towards the end of the piece, they say, well, look, we never had a choice between a so-called neutered Israel recognizing liberal Iran or, on the other hand, an empowered nuclear theocracy. They're saying that both of those things, I guess it's a false alternative. Um they say the real choice was between a nasty but weak regional power with little power projection capability, and that power is going to be either closer or further away from a nuclear weapons capability. So they don't take seriously the idea that you would have a nuclear weaponed empowered theocracy in Iran. Um, and they also don't take seriously the idea that you could have a neutered Israel recognizing liberal Iran. Now notice the choice that truly is unrealistic, the neutered Israel recognizing liberal Iran, that's the one they put first here because they're saying, look, it's really unrealistic to think that this is true, that you could have either this or this. Um, and they're characterizing Iran the way that they think, nasty but weak regional power. And this is in line with an analysis that we talked about on this show earlier, I don't know, several weeks ago, where they were talking about um, that uh, ISIS, I believe that they said ISIS, does not pose an existential threat to the United States. This, this idea of an existential threat, that something has to really threaten the very existence of the United States as such within some immediate near future. Otherwise, we really shouldn't take it seriously. So here they're saying, you know, Iran is nasty but weak. And, you know, so let's just go ahead and deal with them, compromise with them, be happy and cheer that we make them further away from a nuclear weapons capability. Let's go ahead and trust the idea that we can, you know, negotiate and that we can bargain with them and that whatever they promise, they're actually going to live up to, right? It's just politics, pragmatism, deals, compromising, all this stuff is wonderful. Um, they think it's a success. Now, on the other hand, you have commentary from the Ayn Rand Institute 
Ilan Giorno, and they have as a headline something that Cato in their piece said was ridiculous to even say, which is that this deal is, quote, paving the way for a nuclear Iran. And this is what uh, Giorno has to say. He says, the diplomatic talks over Iran's nuclear program have culminated in a deal. The particular terms, at least those that have been disclosed, are predictably ominous. Despite stringent sounding limitations and inspections, the deal effectively clears the path for the Islamic Republic of Iran to cheat and game its way toward nuclear capability. For more than a decade, deception has been the hallmark of Iran's quest for nuclear technology. Why expect that to change now? He says, clearly this is a bad deal, but the debate over what a better deal should look like ignores the underlying problem. So he he's going to get to the fundamentals here. He says, to engage Iran in diplomacy is to disregard and downplay that regime's vicious character and goals. For decades, Iran, he says, have, has been at war with us but our intellectual and political leaders pretend otherwise. Tehran is a leader of the Islamist movement, the cause animating Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, the Muslim Brotherhood, and kindred groups. It's a regime that tramples on the rights of its own citizens, and it seeks to kill and subjugate beyond its borders. Through subcontractors like Hezbollah, Iran has committed many acts of aggression against the United States and other Western interests going back three decades. Hostage crisis, anyone? Iran was behind the 1983 bombings of the U.S. Embassy in Lebanon and later bombed the barracks of U.S. Marines, killing 241. In Iraq, Iran supported insurgents who murdered American troops. It's aiding the Taliban in Afghanistan, and it supplied weapons and rockets to Hamas in Gaza. Simply inviting it to the negotiating table is to confer on Iran an undeserved legitimacy. So, focusing on the character, you decide whether you can even sit down at the bargaining table with these people. And I think the Ayn Rand Institute is correctly stating that you cannot. And I, I mean, time will tell. I'm hoping that. First of all, I mean, we do have Congress. Congress has the opportunity to undo this deal. And I know that Senator Ted Cruz has called for, you know, lawmakers to reject it. So that is one possible avenue. Another possible avenue is electing a president who vows to disregard and set aside this deal. Although, of course, there's already headlines saying, oh, it's not going to be so easy for the next president to just set aside this deal. But what I think is that if you focus on fundamentals and you focus on the fact that these are not people that you can actually deal with, then you'll see that I think Giorno's analysis is going to win out over Cato. Whatever Cato pragmatically thinks that you're getting, I think in the long run, you're going to see that it's not going to work. Uh, already, we have a headline, and I've shared this again in the program notes at the blog over at don'tletitgo.com. This is a Reuters story. And the headline is, Nuclear Deal Will Not Change Iran's Relations with the U.S., says the Supreme Leader. Iranian Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei said on Saturday, the nuclear deal with world powers did not signal any wider shift in Iran's relationship with Washington or its policies in the Middle East. 
billions of dollars we allow to flow to Iran, but nope, it's not going to change them one iota, according to the Supreme Leader. It says the agreement struck this week was met with celebrations in the streets of Tehran, as many Iranians anticipated it would allow the economy to stabilize, make their daily lives easier, etc. But Khomeini, who has a last word on high matters of state, and had given his blessing to the nuclear talks, moved to dampen any speculation it would lead to a broader rapprochement with the United States. He wants to take the money and still probably fund terrorists with the very money that we're sending over there, as far as I can tell. He says, quote, this is them. Listen to this. We have repeatedly said we don't negotiate with the U.S. on regional or international affairs, not even on bilateral issues. There are some exceptions like the nuclear program that we negotiated with the Americans to serve our interests, end quote. So they're allowed to say that they're negotiating on narrow things only for their own interests. But for us, what, what do we get out of the deal? What possibly do we get out of this deal? Tons and tons of resources going there. Uh, we're going to see news stories I unfortunately predict now, not with any satisfaction, mind you, um, that some of this money that we are allowing to flow to them and or giving to them is going to be used to fund terrorist attacks against us and our allies via the proxies either that they've used before or will use in the future. We still have the four hostages over there, there's four Americans being held. And when some member of our press dares to ask our president why the release of those Americans was not secured as part of this deal in which Iran is getting 100 or $160 billion, depending on who's counting, why can't we even get four Americans released as part of this? Obama criticizes the person who asks the question. Our president, who is supposed to be protecting the lives and safety of American citizens as his job number one, is not doing that as part of this deal. Why he wants to have a legacy. I don't know what he wants to have a legacy for because it's going to last, you know, what, approximately 15 years. I'm thinking that the Iran deal, doesn't it expire about the same time as we're supposed to have this mini ice age? I'm thinking it's about the same time. So, you know, hence the title of this show, what What is going to ice you first? Obama 2016 says, we sat down with the USSR when they had thousands of nuclear bombs and a way to deliver them. Uh, I don't know, serial murderer. Well, I mean, what is it getting us now? I mean, right now, Russia is itself proving a potential uh, adversary and someone who is helping our enemies when they can get something out of it. So... Um, USSR was definitely a serial murderer of its own people, if not of Americans. Kilroy is here, says you cannot negotiate with anyone in the Middle East by using Western values and common sense. Yeah, and I mean, that's what it would mean to negotiate is to actually, you know, talk about something in reality. Is the actual deal available for the public to see or will it be at some point? He says 150 pages. I would definitely love to see a link, although I don't know if I have the stomach. One thing that I've heard is a provision of this, which is truly horrible, 
if it exists, is that, and I've seen it a couple different places, that as part of the deal, we have agreed to teach Iran how to secure its nuclear installations from sabotage, i.e. maybe from Israel, whereas Israel seems to be the only power in the entire world that is taking action to stop Iran from getting a nuclear weapon, we're going to try to, you know, arm Iran against Israel. Is that really what we're going to be trying to do, us and other Western nations? If if that is true, it is truly horrifying. I've seen those uh, headlines out there. So I would definitely look more into this, look into contacting your congressmen and senators and urge them urge them to not allow this deal to go through. Um, you know, I don't know what it is that we are supposed to be all be giving up for Obama's legacy to make some kind of deal when on their side, they're saying they're not giving up anything at all. It's really just for our interests. At all. And I take them at their word. Um, there was another thing where we had said that we were going to have, and this was part of Cato's write-up of it, was that there was going to be, I think, round-the-clock visual monitoring of the facilities, that it was very good monitoring. And then apparently some of the leaders in Iran put out statements saying, oh, no, that was really hyperbole. It's not really going to be monitored as much. There are plenty of ways for Iran to cheat and lie out of this. I don't see why we should believe them. We've got a people whose you know general population is going on the streets and chanting death to America. They have vowed to annihilate Israel. And already we've got the supreme leader saying, yeah, nothing's really changed. We're just going to basically get what we want. He also said this, he said, quote, we will never stop supporting our friends in the region and the people of Palestine. Yes, he calls them the people of Palestine. I always put Palestine and Palestinians in scare quotes myself. He says, Yemen, Syria, Iraq, Bahrain, and Lebanon. He says, even after this deal, our policies towards the arrogant U.S. will not change, end quote. I hope Obama is proud of himself because it's gotten us nothing as far as I can tell. Oh, they're saying, uh, when has Iran attacked us? Iran has attacked, attacked us in our interests many times over the years, and they have attacked us through proxies as well. Um, they are a leading funder, a state sponsor of terrorism, Many of, uh, I mean, I don't even know if they've wiped us out of, wiped that out of our uh, governmental records, though. But Iran has been declared a leading state sponsor of terrorism year after year after year for many years since the time of the hostage crisis, 78-79. So, um, Obama 2016 says, would it be okay with you if Mexico bombed our nuclear facilities if they felt we were a threat? Um, if we were actually vowing to annihilate all of Mexico uh, and we were getting the nuclear capability to do it, I wouldn't blame them for trying to protect themselves. Yeah, and Mexico is also not, well, we're not a terrorist nation, but some people actually do think we're a terrorist nation, so that's a whole other story for another day. Um, 
they're saying that the president is more of a pragmatist, um, that he says the nuclear er agreement is going to improve the relations with the neighbors, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think that these are people that you can actually deal with. Um, you, you definitely should be keeping them at more of an arm's length and you shouldn't be funding them because the funding, as we've seen, they have funded attacks against us. Why do we want more money to be put in their coffers so that they can do the same again and again? Uh, Khomeini has declared us that, you know, during the nuclear talks that we have been dishonest. Um, and he says, fortunately, this is Khomeini talking. Fortunately, our officials fought back and in some cases showed revolutionary reactions. So uh, you, you might say a lot of this is all bluster, but are these people that we should even be sitting down at the table with? And that's really the thing. And if they aren't people that you should be sitting down at the table with, what can you possibly expect from them? These are people also, by the way, that if you are a, a homosexual couple in Iran, they have decided that, yes, you can avoid the traditional, uh, you know, Sharia-based death penalty for being a homosexual, but you have to, you know, acquiesce to a compulsory sex change. That's what you need to do. I do have a call here. I'm going to go ahead and grab it. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Amy, this is Mike from New York. Hello, Mike from New York. How are you? Uh, a little frustrated. I'm in. I'm Kilroy in the chat room there, mm -hmm. and I'm reading some of the stuff that's being written here. And these people are, especially Mr. Obama, 2016. It's a perfect example of what I, I mean. I'm conservative, but these people, right. the ones that are outspoken, they they judge everything by the way they live their lives here in America with our values. They don't understand that that's a different planet over there with different rules, a different reality completely. And they think, you know, the utopian views and the reviews and the Pollyanna attitude, and, and they just, they don't get it. They just don't get it. I'd love to see them travel to the Middle East and spend some time over there and really get to know what the attitude is over there and understand when they come home that what we have here has to be protected at all costs. Well, and I would, you know, go further that the, the Chattanooga and other attacks here recently are starting to give Americans an idea, just a small idea of, of what it's like over there. Yeah, they, they don't, they really don't, I don't know. I, they look at all of the negative aspects going back centuries and try to blame this country. I had this conversation with somebody today. Up on a base, I'll just say up on a base, one of the other soldiers mm -hmm. who happens to be uh, on the left side. And uh, we had a great conversation, but, uh, you know, they're not filled. They don't have enough of background of history. I mean, if they knew enough about history to really form a foundation for their beliefs, that'd be one thing. But what they get is a smattering from maybe, I don't know whether it's watching TV or I can't blame, com blame Common Core because it hasn't been around long enough. But uh, talk about uninformed, and uh, I, I don't know. I put in a link there showing that we've, and I know personally some soldiers that were involved with it when they captured Iranian soldiers in Iraq. Mm -hmm. and, um, right. and they had to be turned back over to the Iranian government, and they were there training um, the Iraqis. And so this is nothing new, but the public doesn't hear it. But because they don't hear it, they think it, 
doesn't exist, and the world's a wonderful place. And and well, if we deal with them and we be nice, they're going to be nice back to us. What do you think if Mexico would bomb us? It's not even the same scenario. Whole different. Right. It's part right. Of Western now, Obama, Obama, two thousand sixteen. Here in the chat room, you know, people are talking about the attack on the four Marines and also one Navy. Uh, one member of the Navy has also now died due to that attack in Chattanooga. Tennessee. Uh, Obama 2016 is saying, well, so should we bomb Jordan? Um, no, Jordan now has, we Jordan's values are closer to ours. Jordan right, is right. one of the very strong pro-American countries that are in the Middle East and in Anchorage that's over there, and that's an ally of ours, and they're trying to, uh, there are countries that are trying to modernize, upgrade, whatever you want to call it, their society and their values, and, and become part part of the the world show and, and join this join all of us on the stage and leave uh, leave the middle ages behind so to speak right i believe what leave the middle ages behind so to speak uh yeah that would be a, a great help i mean you know and and you know i'm not that impressed with these cowards that they everybody keeps saying oh isis and these people the world has never seen a terrorist worse than the japanese in world war 2 if you think about it, these people were willing to die for a living God. Their emperor was a living God. You had kamikazes. You had, if take a look at the footage. You can go to YouTube and watch on uh, Saipan, Okinawa, where you've got Japanese women with their babies jumping off cliffs rather than be, quote, captured by the American troops. Did you right. see any women with babies jumping in the, the rivers in, uh, in Baghdad to, to escape the American troops? No. No. Instead, they're going to use a... A, a bomb, and they're most of the time. What do they use? They've used handicapped. They've threatened people. They've offered to pay people. That now these are religious fanatics, but nothing like what we saw with the Japanese. Now, what did it take to stop the Japanese? Those fanatics. Two right. footprints. Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Right. The minute right. that happened, that was it. All bets were off, and the war ended. Right, but I would say that maybe that wouldn't even deter people like ISIS, for example, because you know it's not it's not like you could because they they are relishing this. It's part of their sort of end times prediction that they are they have to fight against all odds and they're going to be vastly outnumbered at this certain point, and you know they're looking for what's going to happen in the afterlife, right? Um, I don't know. They they seem to have an ideology that's a bit less practical than the Japanese. Well, yeah, they, they do. But also, I mean, the religion itself, until they can get their religion under control and bring it up to speed here and, and get it so that they have control over these uh, mm -hmm. radical versions, the imams that are out there that are preaching all of this off-the-wall crap that's causing all these problems. I mean, I, I don't see what solution, I don't see what simple solution we're going to well, have. Sure, it's not going to come from negotiation. It's not. So let me let me ask you: Would you? I mean, obviously, you would not deal with Iran. You would not sit at the negotiation table. You certainly wouldn't agree to allow a hundred or one hundred sixty billion dollars to flow into their no. coffers, right? Um, would know. you immediately bomb them? How would you take care of Iran? I'd sit back and I'd say, you know, you're creating, you're going to destabilize the the region with this, with doing your so-called just for 
uh, energy purposes and everything, and be, but your ability now to create a nuclear bomb is, is going to destabilize the region, and there's going to be a response, and it could be from one of the other countries that are in the Middle East, meaning, of course, they know what that's going to be, Israel. Right. And they fear Israel because Israel has the ability of making footprints like Hiroshima and Nagasaki, not nuclear-wise, but they understand that the only way you can deal with that mentality in the Middle East is by force. They will not respect you unless they fear you. It sucks. It's too bad. It's a shame, but that's the truth. And the minute you show any weakness to these people, they're going to exploit it. Because right. it, it's in their nature. It's part of their culture. And Americans don't get it to us. It's like, no, it can't be. That's not the way it is. No, this is a, it's a wonderful world. We can all get along. Uh, no, we can't. So what are what are your predictions now as a what are your predictions as a result of this deal? I mean, first of all, do you do you think that Congress and Senate are going to let it pass? I know. I think I I hope to God the Congress is going to shut this down. Um, if say worst case scenario, it gets put through with because I don't know who to trust in the Senate and the Congress these days anyway. I don't. I mean, I, I don't understand. I don't understand how they're even functioning. Um, if they're able to get it through then I think what's going to happen is going to be a backlash with the 2016 elections. And the Democrats know that. They're already afraid of this. They're afraid that they're telling, I think, I've got a feeling they're telling Obama, behave yourself, sit down, have a popsicle, and just don't say a word. you got another year. We don't want you costing us the election in 2016. Because yeah, the more well, damage he does, the more he toys with this society, the fabric of society, the more damage he does out there, the more it reflects on the Democrats. And so I think the new president, whoever we get, hopefully somebody decent, is going to have to deal with this, but they're going to shut it down immediately. Now, that means the Iranians know there's a possibility for that. They're going to work as fast as they can to order whatever they can, because the bottom line is they want a bomb. Now, their government is not like a regular government. It's a theocracy. So that's a serious problem when you're dealing with a theocracy that's armed with a bomb. Yes, yes. And especially one that, you know, people chant death to America in the streets on Friday. And that has repeatedly said that their intention is to eliminate the entire state of Israel. So, yeah. Um, So, yeah, it's it's, uh, not not an up week at all. Um, Anything else on this or should you want to wait until the the next topic till I bring up Chattanooga? I don't, I don't know. I mean, my, my attitude and everything, just so he can see it, 2016 there, Obama, whatever, is, look, I, I'm, I'm a military historian. I specialize in World War II. That's, what my, that's the main, my main focus. So okay. being able to make parallels between World War II or any, anything through history to look at what we're dealing with today and look at similarities, and it, it makes it rather scary. What you can see, never mind Chamberlain with peace in our time. That's one thing. That's a small thing. But there are so many other things that are going on that but this, the public today, they're oblivious. They don't have, they don't have anything to draw from to make, to make the, the connections, to have a better understanding. Say, wait a minute, we've already been down this road. It doesn't right. work. What are we doing? This costs this many lives. Do we really want that price again? But they they don't. They just they've got to learn the lesson again and again and again, and it, so it's pretty frustrating. So don't mind me if you hear anger in my voice. I just sit back and go, what are they doing? There's a, there's something called a Conto Five uh, Fund, 
Conto Fund? Conto Five Fund. Okay. It was a special discretionary fund that was controlled by Hitler. Hitler had uh, one of his main people, Dr. Lammers. Dr. Lammers was uh, a Reich minister. He was in charge of all legal affairs and state affairs for the for the Third Reich. Uh, he was bad, bad news. This guy was he was brutal. I mean, a lot of them. We, we should have hung a lot more than we did of these these people. But what that fund was used for was to buy to buy the I don't know what you'd call it the loyalty the uh, the silence the it was to buy off politicians and military mm-hmm. leaders that were within the German government. And it was it was oh, there was a lot. Of, I'll look for the link and I'll put it in the chat room if you want. But in okay. other words, so say you have a congressman that comes into Congress, somebody new. Now, you know that. They're going to Congress. They're not millionaires. When they leave Congress, what are they worth? It's amazing it, the it, amount that they're worth, and I don't know it, how they do it. It, it makes me wonder. if Now, why don't we see Congress and the Senate standing up to all these people that are running the administration, not just Obama? Why? I wonder if they have the equivalent of one of the funds that's sitting there that's buying so that they're too busy they're watching out, looking out for themselves, not for us. Well, you you could not think it's a carrot like that, right? It's a you could think it's a carrot like some of the fun. Now, some something that I speculate about a lot is what is it that the NSA has on these people that Obama is threatening them with? So we always think, well, maybe the NSA has something on Roberts. I mean, this is all just conspiracy theory speculation, um, right, but. Right. But, you know, in, in general, unless we actually see proof of such a thing, what I tend to do is blame the overall ideology and the ethics of altruism, the idea that self-sacrifice and compromise of your principles is a noble thing, that goes so far to explain everything that's been going on. And the idea that we would even make a deal, a so-called deal with Iran. I, I'm sticking with ideas as moving the world because we as human beings are motivated by ideas. Here, I found a link. You're going to have to go a couple of pages back. But when you get a chance okay. tonight, tomorrow, next week or whatever, save this link and read up because this is one of the things that history is not going to hit. The schools won't. Oh, my God. Look at the size of that link. Sorry about that. You know what you can but, uh, do if you'd like is um, if you want to publish that link as a comment over at the blog, that would be awesome too. I, I'm not really high tech. I'm Greek. Greeks know how to cook. We're not high tech for the most part. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm, I'm trying we to do, I'm trying to, co- okay. I'm, I'm, I'm hitting copy on this whole link right now. Okay. I cop I copied that huge thing. So thank you. And thanks for calling in on this uh, unusual Saturday show. Oh, I'll sit back and listen. You can meet me. That'll be fine. And, uh, it's an interesting show. Okay, great. Thanks again for calling. We've talked to you before. I've enjoyed it. Uh, we do have another call, so I'm going to go ahead and grab that before we talk about Chattanooga here. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Hi, Amy. Hi, who's this? This is Matt. Matt, hi. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. Hey, I was hoping you were going to talk a little bit about the NSS, the National Security Strategy. And what about it in particular did you want to talk about? Well, you were talking about how uh, 
the president comes up with ideas and uh, a set of goals and his priorities, and it should all be listed in the national security strategy. And and so you're saying that he hasn't listed goals appropriately or whatever goals he's listing are appropriate or not appropriate? Well, have you, have you by chance read it? No, I have not read his strategy. I, well, it, I, I, may, I may have seen some things relevant to it because I recall reading some things about, you know, kind of what he was going for in certain situations, but I don't think I've actually read the official document, no. Okay. Well, anyway, it's uh, the most instructive thing you can do is to see the changes because they come out about every four years. And a president is supposed to put one in and it, it, it gives you his goals and his order of, uh, of what he wants to do. And so if you, if you follow that, and especially if you look at the changes that were made from last year, you can, you can see where his real priorities are. And so, and what, how you, how have the priorities shifted as you see it? <laughs> well, there's actually, uh, to me, the most uh, the most interesting one is he had to throw in a line about the LGBT community into a national security strategy. Believe it or not. Okay, so how did that work? <laughs> oh, you you got me. Uh, but obviously, it's uh, one of his priorities, or that he thinks it's uh, it's big enough to tell the world about. Hmm. I mean, that was sort of like using NASA to supposedly improve mm -hmm. our relations with Muslim countries, right? Right. Um, it, what role does improving relations with Muslim countries play in a space exploration government organization. I have no idea uh, how that ever fits. So, yeah, I mean, I guess you may as well just throw in the kitchen sink wherever you can and, uh, and well, see what yeah, works. It shows, I mean, you what, it, it shows so, you what's important to him, or at least what he thinks he has to get out in the public eye. And, you know, it... it barely defends the country, and that hasn't changed uh, much since Bush was doing it. And so, like I said, if you go back through these things and look at them, uh, they usually have about four big main goals. And if uh, one of them, of course, is to uh, prevent the spread of nuclear weapons is almost always in there. And that, uh, yeah, that's pretty reasonable. But yet, uh, what are we doing with Iran now? You know, you could argue that he's not even following his own NSS. Well, I mean, I guess Cato would argue that you have slowed down the spread of nuclear weapons by about nine months. So, hey, that's progress, right? <laughs> that's good. I mean, that, that's, that's what, one of the things that they said, hey, you know, it was going to be three months and now it's a year. So... We should be excited. So basically that gives you another, like a basically time to uh, conceive and, you know, give birth to a baby that's going to die in the nuclear holocaust during the extra nine months. It's awesome. <sighs> yeah, so, so if, you, if you go through the NSS2, um, you know, somebody was asking here, just asking about the quadrennial defense review. No, it's not the same because that's uh, a little different. Um, the way it used to work is that the president puts out the national security strategy 
and the Secretary of the State and Secretary of Defense use those to build their own goals for their organizations. And the Secretary of Defense puts out the National Defense Strategy, mm-hmm. and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff takes that document and puts out the National Military Strategy. And so the military runs off. Those are those are the biggest guidelines we have. The NSS, the NDS, the NMS, and of course the QDR goes in there as well. But uh, when it comes to the COCOMs, the uh, the combatant commanders uh, throughout the world, they take that and uh, build their goals for their organizations and for the geographical area for which they're responsible off those documents. And so, so again, yeah. So, when, when you, so, but I mean, you you have you have a lot more specialized knowledge about this hierarchy of goal statements than than I do. But is is there something that you've seen in these statements really that's relevant to the Iran deal and it and its viability? Well, um, I, I was getting more toward the when when you're talking more about the uh, global warming AGW. Uh, that, oh, because that that's made that its way in there, of course, too. Because a number of them are saying that the biggest threat right now is, of course, global warming. Uh, you know, the overconsumption right. of fossil fuels and the concomitant greenhouse effect and all that kind of stuff. Um, so basically, the, this person and actually, I, I said woman, but I'm not exactly sure that it was a woman. I think it was a woman, but I'm not sure who announced this result at a conference. Um, saying that we're going to have this mini ice age in 15 years, that should throw the whole strategy out the window, right? Because it wouldn't be that warming is the worst danger, the most serious security threat that we have, et cetera. Um, That would pretty much be wiped off of anything as a security threat because we don't even know what's going to happen in 15 years with our climate. (laughs) Hey, you'd have to get them to buy into that, though. I don't think you could. Well, we'll see. I mean, when the paper comes out, it's right. The proof is in the pudding or proof of pudding is in the eating, something like that. So we've got to actually see the paper itself. It's so funny how these things make headlines before the actual academic paper is published for scrutiny. And then everyone starts arguing about it before they've seen the entire uh, paper, you know, with the analysis and the proof and the the mathematical model that's behind all this and everything else. So we shall see. But um, I'm going to go ahead and get on to the Chattanooga story, if that's okay with you. Thank you for calling in, sir. And I think you were a first-time caller, so I'd always appreciate. Um, and I'm glad that you have called here on a Saturday night when I'm usually not here. So, so, so let's talk about Chattanooga. And Chattanooga is, of course... For many of us that have been watching attacks on our shores, it's been very frustrating this week because the latest that I've seen from the mainstream media, the CNN story that I have is representative. It's linked over at the blog again at don'tletitgo.com. It's CNN says that authorities still say that the Chattanooga shooter's motive remains unknown. Chattanooga shooter's motive remains unknown. They've decided that, no, we don't really know what the motive is at all. Um, Homeland Security Department and the FBI on Saturday issued a joint intelligence bulletin to law enforcement agencies around the U.S. So 
similar to the previous caller talking about, right, these statements and how these statements become marching orders for everybody else. Imagine you're law enforcement and you get this statement. And the statement says that the shooter's motive remains unclear. And this is despite a claim by Homeland Security uh, Committee Chairman Michael McCall that the shooter was inspired by ISIS. Here's from the statement, quote, we have no information at this time indicating that this incident was either inspired, directed, or assisted by individuals associated with an identified designated foreign terrorist organization. Listen to the language that they use, right? It's not an ideology that they can point to, but instead they have to point to an identified designated foreign terrorist organization. This is very concrete bound. This is a U.S. law enforcement official uh, quote. However, the FBI investigation into his activities while overseas and the nature and extent of his affiliation with FTOs, foreign terrorist organizations, is ongoing. The official said that the suspect who was shot and killed by authorities became a U.S. citizen in 2003. He previously traveled on at least four separate occasions to Jordan. Okay. That This is the connection to Jordan, right? With the last recorded date of travel between April and November 2014. Now, what did he do and where did he go from Jordan? We don't know. Um, the fifth uh, serviceman to have been killed by this man is U.S. Navy Petty Officer Randall Smith, and that was in addition to the four Marines who have been you know, announced earlier. Um but, you know, they say, okay, they have no motive. At the same time, you can read his blog. I've got a story, and this is from the Daily Beast, and they say that you can actually go and read uh, the shooter's blog. Now, he's got only two blog posts. They were both published July 13th, very recently, right? So you would say that these two blog posts would be significant evidence of the state of mind of the shooter, the thankfully dead shooter, um, when he actually went and, and carried out this these horrific attacks. The first post was enti entitled, A Prison Called Dunya. And in saying Dunya, he was referring apparently to the temporal world, the world that we all live in. And he uses a hypothetical example the shooter, of a prisoner who was told he would be given a test that would either take him out of his earthly prison or send him into a more restrictive environment. And this is what he says, I would imagine that any sane person would devote their time to mastering the information on the study guide and stay patient with their studies, only giving time for other things around to keep themselves focused on passing the exam, end quote. Uh, and then continuing, he says, they would do this because they know and have been told that they will be rewarded with pleasures that they have never seen, end quote. Now, this, I've read the Quran from cover to cover. The pleasures that they have never seen are all promised in the Quran if they fight on the cause of jihad, if they are good Muslims. Um, he says, the life test, he wrote, quote, designed to separate the inhabitants of paradise from the inhabitants of hellfire. Second post is called Understanding Islam, the Story of Three Blind Men. And it suggests that Abdulaziz 
felt his fellow Muslims had, quote, a certain understanding of Islam and kept a tunnel vision of what we think Islam is. Keep that in mind, a tunnel vision of what we think Islam is. He says he uses the example of blind men who felt, who feel an elephant but can't quite tell what the creature is. He says Muslims have a similar understanding of the earliest companions of the Prophet Muhammad. They were, quote, like priests living in monasteries is not true, he said. Rather, they were, quote, toward the end of the lives, either a mayor of a town, a governor of a state, or a leader of army at the front lines, i.e., you have to have theocracy or you have to have jihad in the cause of Islam. Quote, this is from Abdulaziz, we ask Allah to make us follow their path, to give us a complete understanding of the message of Islam and the strength uh, to live by this knowledge and to know what role we need to play to establish Islam in the world, end quote. So he believes that these leaders should be having political power or they should be leading armies at the front lines, that that's what they should be doing. Otherwise, they don't have a proper understanding of what the religion is. Um, again, July 13th, published July 13th. You can read this for yourself, and yet you don't know what the motive is. Why? Because I think right now the FBI and our Department of Homeland Security are allowed to connect the dots only if you can show a connection to a concrete organization. Now, the concrete organizations might themselves happen to believe this same ideology that he has posted about in these blog posts, but it's not enough to show that he adheres to the same ideology that those, what does he call it, officially registered with the imprimatur of Obama foreign terrorist organizations, um, it's not enough to show that they have the same ideology. You have to actually show concrete connections. He had lunch with a member of ISIS. And if he didn't, then you can't show that there's any sort of motive that they're allowed to talk about. Many people have been finding this frustrating and unacceptable. And some people, including uh, cartoonist Bosch Faustin, have noted this week on Twitter that Dredge has kind of gone beyond what he would normally do in a attack situation like this. And he actually had headlines like, you know, Muhammad shoots up Marines or something like that. And, you know, um, actually puts on the top, you know, of his page of Dredge Report, motivated by Islam, etc. So I think people are starting to get frustrated with our government's inability to actually name what is going on and what is motivating. And, you know, the Daily Beast article that I just read to you is uh, no exception there. They're pointing out exactly, exactly what is going on. Um, now, what do we got going on here in the chat room? I know for a while in the chat room, they were bragging about the size of their URLs. That was Obama 2016 and Kilroy is here. They were kind of uh, getting jokes on that. Now, what are we? Oh, we're still having a debate, I think. Uh, shooting metaphorically and stuff. Okay, we're having debates about shooting. 
uh, target range shooting? Would you go and give it a shot, et cetera, et cetera? Oh, and then we're talking about logic. <laughs> now, what is encouraging? Oh, Freedom Bree says it's encouraging, for instance, that Drudge Report did that. No, I think it's definitely encouraging than that. But let me let me go ahead and try and tie this up, right? Because now we're actually past the top of the hour. And I should actually try to tie in my title about the frozen abstraction. And let me go ahead and see if I can do that for you. One thing I did want to point out, though, is I, I tweeted out, do follow me on Twitter sometimes. I don't tweet a whole lot, but sometimes I tweet okay stuff. And um, I wrote this. I said, what's the only explanation for so-called lone wolves? Again, they were very quick to announce that this guy was a lone wolf. You know, what is the only explanation for these lone wolves all behaving as if they're part of a conspiracy? And the only explanation for that is adherence to an ideology, right? They need to get out of this idea that you are part of any sort of terrorist movement only if we can show you've had concrete connections to these specific terrorist groups. If you have evidence that someone is being motivated by the ideology that is behind these other terrorist organizations, namely strict adherence to Islam, which is what he wrote about in his blog, then you can actually understand it. But I don't think that they want to fully understand it. They certainly don't want to understand it if the roads actually point to this religion, what they don't want to do. And and why is that? So let's let's go ahead and get to how I'm going to bring in the fallacy of the frozen abstraction. Stick with me here. I know it's late on a Saturday night, but stick with me. Okay, now just giving you the, the standard run of this. The fallacy of the frozen abstraction consists, says Rand, of substituting some one particular concrete for the wider abstract class to which it belongs. So for instance, substituting a specific ethics, altruism, for the wider abstraction of ethics. And that is the classic example where today when people talk about ethics, they pretty much take for granted that it's altruism, the idea of sacrificing yourself to others, sacrificing higher values for lesser values, that this is the ethical thing to do. And so in one sense, you could say that it is this frozen abstraction, the one in which we have frozen altruism to stand for ethics as large, that is really the thing that is going to kill us, if anything, the fastest. And it could explain our reactions to all of the other things that we've talked about. But that's too easy, right? So let me give you some other kind of frozen abstractions here. Um, one is, for example, environment, right? When we talk about the environment, most people are thinking about the earth as apart from human beings, excluding human beings. Now, why should, when we're talking about improving the environment, why should the concept of environment be frozen in this thing that doesn't even exist because we human beings actually are part of the earth, right? But what the environmentalists want to do, want to do is they want to go ahead and freeze this idea of, you know, unadulterated landscape, you know, tons and swaths of, you know, natural habitat without human beings and everything else except for human beings, all the animals, all the plants, bugs, 
even the grotiest bugs, they can be there, but human beings know they cannot be there as part of what you think of as the environment. So when you think of improving the environment, it's improving everything apart from us. Whereas Alex Epstein has been very vocal when he's talking about the environment. He's talking about the environment that we human beings live in. Why not have that as part of the concept? When you think environment, it should be environment for whom? Whose environment, right? Our environment. Well, certainly we have improved our environment environment by using fossil fuels, you know, Epstein would say. So there's that, that you know, this fallacy of the frozen abstraction. Um, another example would be if you're talking about somebody who has a recognizable terrorist motive for his attack, it's got to be having concrete connections to these legitimate recognized terrorist organizations that Obama thinks, okay, you know, these organizations are so bad, I can't possibly exclude them from this list of foreign terrorist organizations or whatever that stupid acronym was. We have to include it on the list. Otherwise, people are going to say, I'm not doing my job as president. But, you know, when any given guy comes up and attacks, unless we can show a direct connection to these groups, then forget it. He can't be motivated by, you know, an Islamic terrorist motive or a jihadist motive. Um, and of course, Obama won't even let us use those concepts with respect to those organizations, right? The concepts of Islam and jihad have been wiped from all the counterterrorism training materials in our country. He just will not allow you to think about this concept, even though that is what every single conscientious law enforcement or military official is doing when they're trying to integrate all of these disparate terrorist groups that are trying to go after us. They've got to have in their mind something like jihadist as a motive, but they're not allowed to say it. They're not allowed to actually put the word to it. You're supposed to be limited to these concretes. Now they're having another debate. Yeah. Um, Freedom Bree says in the, in the chat room, they want to save the planet from humans, not for humans. Yes, that's exactly right. That's what they do when they call the environment, the environment apart from us. But let me give you another frozen abstraction that I think is really really getting us off of the track right now. Um, in, you know, in our culture in general, certainly among all, well, most of our politicians, most of the people in the mainstream media, when we think of Muslim, we're always supposed to think of the peaceful, moderate Muslim, so-called moderate, which actually does constitute the majority of Muslims living here in the United States. It is true. Majority of Muslims living here in the United States, while many of us would say that they are too quiet about the jihadist attacks on us, most of them, a vast majority of them, are not themselves prepared to do an attack like this. But this is what you're supposed to keep in mind. But you're never supposed to be able to encompass in your idea of what a Muslim is, this guy who just shot and killed five service members in Tennessee. That's not supposed to be part of that. Why you're supposed to have this frozen abstraction of 
a peaceful, religious, pious person who just happens to be Muslim. He's supposed to be, you know, like similar people. And you're supposed to therefore ignore any significant problem in the religion, such as the fact that if somebody really takes the study of the religion seriously and goes back to those ideas that were written about in that blog, then they have a conflict on their hands and they should face this crisis within their religion and deal with it accordingly. There are some people who are writing about it, of course. Ayan Hersi is writing about it and she has her own solution. She believes that the religion needs a reformation. And from what I've heard from Ankar Gatte, when she talks about the things that people need to change from within Islam, the things that need to be changed, that he believes pretty much all of them would start to push people towards atheism, actually, to actually reject religion as such. Um, but she argues, no, you don't necessarily need to reject your religion, but you need to change these basic things, including, of course, the idea that you need to uh, achieve dominance by violence or, you know, that you should spread the religion by violence in any way. In any event, I do think that People have, in effect, this frozen abstraction of what they think a Muslim is. They freeze it on the peaceful Muslim, and they don't realize, first of all, they can't encompass in that the idea that this other, you know, person who's committing jihad is a Muslim. And they also ignore, really, who within the Muslim community is actually the most important in the sense of having the most cultural influence and actually the ones who are having the most influence within the community are not the majority who are peaceful because mostly they're quiet and they're not really out there uh, doing very much for the most part. I'm hoping that's going to change, right? But the ones who are having the most effect are the ones who are calling for jihad, for sharia, to be instituted. They would like to institute, some of them, they'd like to institute Sharia here in the United States. Now, people in the chat room are talking about last names ending in certain things and where they're from, like from Scandinavia or something. So maybe, I'm wondering, maybe I lost you with my frozen abstraction argument. It's possible. Let me know. Let me know if you think I'm washed up or something. But I, I, I do think that there's something going on here where there are a number of frozen abstractions where you take this one particular concrete, you substitute that for the wider abstract class, and therefore it makes you incapable of integrating, dealing with these other instantiations. It makes you incapable of recognizing who within, for instance, the class of Muslims is actually having the most influence, who is the most important for us to think about among the Muslims. I mean, for me, I would just be happy to live and let live apart from Muslims, but for those who want to institute Sharia or commit acts of violent jihad, those are the ones who are of concern to me. Otherwise, I would just say, you know, Muslims, they're religious, um, they have a completely different lifestyle. We don't share, share very much in common. There might be a limited exchange that I can have, you know, with them and be pleasant. That's fine. But most of the time, I just wouldn't even be concerned about them. Why are we even concerned, those of us who adhere to reason and, you know, generally 
adhere to individual rights. Um, we want to have a limited government, et cetera. It wouldn't even fall on our radar. We it just wouldn't even be part of the conversation, except for that these people, the ones who are actually active and having influence in the Muslim world, are out there trying to violate our rights and in some cases actually kill us. But today, in our culture, we're not allowed to think about that. Why? Because when you think of Muslim, in essence, you're supposed to think of somebody cute like Miss Marvel, right? Marvel's little Muslim superhero that they've been having for the past couple of years or so. That's what you're supposed to think of. You're not supposed to think of anybody else as a Muslim. And in fact, if you even refer to, you know, someone as a Muslim who has committed these acts, there's many people on Twitter who will say, no, 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 that person's not really a Muslim. This is really what a Muslim is. And I think that we're, you know, allowing ourselves to be guilty insofar as we fall into that. So, um, what do you think here? Now we've got, oh, uh, Trevor in the chat room says, I got distracted. Uh, one solution, he says, raid these mosques. Okay, so maybe there are certain mosques. If you if there are certain mosques that you could show are actually teaching a, an ideology that dictates any sort of overthrow of our government or violent attack on our citizens, then that would definitely be worthwhile. Um, but Kilroy is here. has got a number of links over here in the Blog Talk Radio chat room. Um, Trevor says there sure are a lot of not real Muslims out there. And and that's the thing. And those are the ones I think when you think of Muslim, that is the frozen abstraction that you're supposed to have in your mind. And I think it's preventing you from dealing with, as part of that concept, the people who actually have significant effect out there. So that is that is how I tie it in. And I would say, of course, this committing this fallacy in, you know, in the most general sense in which you substitute altruism for ethics, right? Altruism, a specific concrete type of ethics that dictates sacrifice of yourself, sacrifice of higher values to lesser values, something that always dictates the violation of rights. That's going to kill us first. But then these more narrow examples as well, um, and specifically in the context of this week with the Chattanooga shooting, I think we do have this frozen abstraction of a peaceful Muslim. Hi, is this Bosch? Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay, good, good. Yeah, no, I I, I got the little uh, message here that yeah. you called and you wanted to, uh, to chat. So uh, do you think I'm barking up the wrong tree with this, with this fallacy what? of frozen abstraction? Do you think that's a useful way to, to look at it or no? Yeah, it is. I mean, there's, uh, you know, just one example is, you know, Islam means peace no matter what it means, no matter what Muslims do, no matter what happens. You know, Islam means peace. Right. It cannot mean right. anything else, no matter what. And right. So for, so, 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 for example, um, you could think of religion. And when you think of religion or, you know, when George W. Bush thought of religion, he thought of something where you have peaceful, pious people. And so if Islam yeah. is a religion, that certainly can't be the thing motivating these hateful, disgusting murderers. And 
that's it. I mean, so maybe he's got, you know, in his mind this pro, and I think many people have that. So that leads many yeah, people you know to even say, they, they even say Islam's not a religion. That's what a number of people end up concluding yeah, because they have Iraq again in their mind, right? Right? Because they have in their mind religion is some sort of a religion peaceful. Is right. Yeah. Right. Well, it's one thing. I mean, they live in the real world. Everyone knows there's something terribly wrong with Islam. Everyone. The quote-unquote peaceful Muslims, uh, Christians, Jews, everyone knows. And uh, but still, they need to believe something else. And if, if they don't crack open that Quran, they can be free to continue this claptrap. You know, Bush knew he didn't know anything about Islam. Right. But so he said, "Well, it's probably like my religion, and my religion is good. So therefore, I don't want to be disabused of my." my fantasy right so yeah that, that that's a helpful idea the frozen abstraction i had a different term in well mind, and, uh, and this is the thing you know selfishness who's here in the chat room actually said says here an important concept that i'm happy to see applied and how well i've applied it here this evening i'm hoping fairly well but i'm not exactly sure and to be honest again i was just thinking of the ice age and the nuclear winter and i wanted to think right. of some way to put the errors in an objectivist term, you know, the errors of thinking in an objectivist way that would go along with it. I, and it, frozen abstraction came to my mind. And then I thought, wait, yeah. it, does that actually work? And then I go and I look at it. Yeah, I think it actually works. Okay, let me see if I can shoehorn it into the, the show for the week. But no, I think it is an actually helpful way to think about this. And, and, and if you think about you know, the, the frozen abstraction of what a Muslim is that is in the minds of all of our law enforcement and military out there and how much that cripples their ability to deal with right. the threat that we face right now. And again, it is not, it is not, I am not saying that most Muslims uh, are, you know, jihadists at all. I mean, that's ridiculous. I, most of them, I mean, mo most of them are perfectly fine and peaceful people but most muslims are human beings right right now the most devout ones are not human beings they're animals they're savages but most muslims are human beings first but that's mm -hmm. not even an issue here you know but but your idea about the frozen abstraction if you think about it um it and not my idea Ayn's Rand's ideas no 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 no, no. no i know I'm, that what i'm saying is on this show on this show right right um you know bringing it into the show the idea of that it's like that's that kind of thinking leads to the to the nuclear winter it leads to destruction you know right and that's that's another connection in that sense where it's, it's frozen thinking it's just it's completely it's you know barack obama and this kind of thinking if we don't move from this we are done in a very what decades possibly possibly if we don't move away from this, if we don't unfreeze this, this kind of quote-unquote thinking, right. it's just absolutely destructive and it's purposeful. I mean, Barack Obama, he's smart enough to know that he's destructive. He, I mean, at least to that extent. He knows I think so. the end game. No, he knows. And part of it, part of why he does what he does is because of that, because he knows. He, you know, and that's why in the negotiations, probably, uh, the Iranians ask themselves, I mean, we thought we hated America. You know, looking at Obama, right? It's like th you know, this guy—he's stealing our thunder here. I mean, what the hell is this? Oh, we're supposed to be the death to America, and you know, not him. They're, they're like almost—he, you know, like he's—he's 
he stole the thunder. Well, and I was gonna, I was going to say you might be stealing my thunder a little bit here because I have another horrible thing that Obama did in the news. This was actually a, a big old headline of Drudge just a little while ago today. I don't know if it's still up there. It is that Obama is collecting all of our personal data for a secret race database, a secret race database. And if you remember, I've talked about a number of times on this show about Obama using executive orders to take all the various bits of personal information that he's collected about us and have the federal agencies quote unquote share with each other so that they can collate this into a huge database. So apparently what they're doing is they're trying to put this whole database together to show that throughout society, government, corporations, financial institutions, etc., that there is total racism, inequalities between minorities and whites. And it says, unbeknownst, this is a, an article, by the way, from the New York Post, and it says that unbeknownst to most, most Americans, Obama's racial bean counters are furiously mining data on their health, home loans, credit cards, places of work, neighborhoods, even how their kids are disciplined in school, all to documents, quote, document, quote, unquote, inequalities between minorities and whites. And what they want to do is they want to provide a whole bunch of data for minorities, presumably, to make so-called disparate impact cases against, for instance, banks and schools and cities and everything else, employers, give them all this data to use for lawsuits. And so all they want to do is they have these, all these databases operational and then just post all this data online so that all these banks and cities and everybody else can be sued by all the lawyers. So I guess you should become a lawyer now so that you can get in on the game and sue, 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 right? I wonder which I wonder, I wonder which part of Obama is behind this, the black part or the white part, because he's biracial, you know. <laughs> I'm just curious. I mean, I, I mean, uh, I, both, does, does both, even know, both. You know? No, I both, guess. both, well, well, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but the white part out of guilt. The white part out of guilt. The white part out of guilt. Yeah, but they're at war with each other, so I'm not sure if they're working together. I mean, I don't think it works together because you know Obama's a racist, and uh, his black part and his white part are at war, eternal war. This guy's a sick, twisted rat. I mean, he really mm -hmm. is, and he just proves it every single day. I mean, he celebrates yeah, and, Islam. And, you know, he, he celebrates Islam, mm -hmm. you know, on the day of that massacre. The Empire State Building turns green to uh, honor Islam. ID, Eid, H-V-I-E-D. But right. uh, this is just sick. And uh, will it be reciprocated by the Kaaba turning red, white, and blue? I don't think so. Now I, I heard some kind of jumbled. I heard some kind of jumbling. So you you were saying that right now they have lit up the Empire State Building green because yeah. of a Muslim holiday, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yes, right. They have, um, and they did this first time two thousand seven, and I railed against it back then. And you know it, uh, it's like this again. The frozen, listen, the frozen abstraction. Okay. Okay. Um, American, can you can you hear me? It got cut off a little bit. Okay, Muslim murders Americans, mm -hmm. and uh, the ones behind turned their empire state buildings green. Like, well, 
you know, Islam means peace, no matter what that Muslim did, no matter that. You know, right, right. You know, again, good, again, who who do they, they have? Them. Who do they have in mind? They have in mind the peaceful. The ones who don't represent Islam. No, but right. The, they have in the, mind. The, the, the well, the peaceful, pious Muslims. Muslims peace, excuse me, peaceful, pious Muslims who don't have any particular influence of importance to us. They're impotent, they're over. And what right. I'm saying is the non-Muhammad Muslims, meaning the non-ideal Muslims, meaning the ones who aren't very Muslim. Right. The ones who are more like human beings. Now and listen, we've got, we've, got, we've got only a couple minutes to go, but uh, quick in one word, what do you think of Trump declaring John McCain not a war hero? Well, there, here's a story here. Trump says he heroically avoided capture in Vietnam by staying in the U.S. Okay. This is the, the Barwitz report. He's like a onion type. Okay. Uh, uh, isn't that funny? Okay. Oh, anyway, that's pretty funny. I, yeah. I, I've called John McCain, you know, from John McCain, POW to POS. He's a piece of crap. He, as a politician, he's disgusting, reprehensible. But, you know, Trump's reaction is really just stupid. Just, and plus the way he said it. Now, there have been people who have questioned the uh, heroics of John McCain in the Vietnam War about how he sure. was... Uh, now, I've only, now I've only got one minute. I've only got one minute, so I've got to leave it okay. now on a positive note. So, um, stupid, way, mis the, stupid, stupid thing. The assistant director said that we don't know if that, it's a Muslim name about that Muslim name. Right, right. No, I know, I know. So, right. I, so please, i got to end on a positive note here. Go over to my blog at don'tletitgo.com and you will see the one positive bit of news from this week. It comes from our federal government, believe it or not, but unfortunately it is something that is not a proper function of government, which is space exploration. It is NASA's three billion mile journey to Pluto and all of the awesome yeah. photos that have come out of that. So that is your good news to end on this week. Do go over either, you know, just go to NASA's own website, but I've got the link. Um, check it out and we'll talk to you here next week. Good Have a good also. weekend, the Nothing. rest of it, everyone. Good night, everybody. We're done. Good news story no? We're good. done. Sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh. Goodbye. Oh.